0: My prayer is that it, if, it, if it never has happened before, that this morning you'd hear these for the first time for your heart. It says this, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you Say that I am. And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, if it is good that we are here, let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son. My chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Let's pray together. Father, a simple prayer that Moses prayed on that mountain in Exodus. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Lord, I I imagine Jesus said the same words that night on that day on the mountain, but he said, show them my glory. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would answer these prayers, that we would see the glory of Jesus, that we would see Jesus, who he is and what he has done on the cross, that we would hear him call us to himself to follow him. And that, Lord, his glory would be more than enough for our hearts to listen to him, to give him all our attention, all our affection, all our allegiance, Lord, for all of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was in college when Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ came out. Not sure you've ever, if you've ever seen this movie But if you have, it's one of the most visually graphic, disturbing, painful movies that you will ever see. Because it attempts in that movie to depict in graphic detail the last 12 hours of Jesus' life. The final 12 hours all the way from when he says, Lord, take this cup from me in the Garden of Gethsemane until he's hanging on the cross saying, It is finished. And dies his final breath. The final 12 hours. It's it's really hard to watch if you've ever seen. it. It's hard to imagine all the pain and all the suffering that Jesus went through. And especially when you realize that the reason he's there was to receive the full wrath of God that you deserved in your place. When you realize that he hung on the cross for me. Yet, one thing I remember about that night is that I went to see it with a lot of friends in college. It was actually an organized event by the Student Activities Council at my university. It's like, come and eat Twizzlers and drink and, uh, and eat popcorn and, and watch about Jesus with your friends. And, and one of the things that sticks out in my memory is that right after it was over, we went to Steak and Shake where we had milkshake and cheese fries. How how does that happen? After seeing a movie that was so moving, while every lash seemed so real, while the pain seemed so heavy, while, while the cross seemed so brutal, why was it so easy to leave and go eat cheese fries? Why is it so easy for us to meditate and think about the final hours of Jesus and not be undone by his love? Why is it so easy for us to hear the call of Jesus and yet be unmoved by his words? Why is it so easy as the American church? Why is it easy for us to hear the call of Jesus to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow him and yet still cling to this world, still cling to our sin? Why is it so easy to see and behold the glory of Jesus and yet leave unaffected? My prayer this morning is, Lord, make this impossible this morning. Let every, every single one of us, whether you've been a believer for years or you've you come in here not knowing much about Jesus, let us see the crucified King. Let us hear His call to deny ourselves, to take up our, our cross and to follow Him. Let us see the glory of Jesus like never before and be moved and be chained. Not to hear them just another time, hear the words of Jesus, hear the call of Jesus, watch what Christ has done for us and leave unaffected, but to be moved by who Jesus is and what he's done for you as a sinner. So this morning, I want to ask us three questions from our passage, three questions of your heart, three questions to ask your heart as we're listening today. The first one is this. Are you trusting in the crucified king? Are you trusting in the crucified king? Jesus is alone, it says, alone praying with his disciples. And he just fed 15,000 people in the countryside. 5,000 men and their wives and children. And at this point, he's seen the crowds growing. He's heard people talking about his ministry. And so he asked the disciples, he says, Who do the crowd say that I am? What are all the people saying about me? And there's a ton of answers according to the disciples. They say, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some, just another prophet from the Old Testament. The the common theme is that Jesus is simply a great teacher, a good man, a great prophet who's come to serve the ways of the Lord. And the same could be said in the 21st century in America, right? If you ask that question, who do you say that Jesus is? What are the people saying in all the magazines, in the documentaries? What what are people saying about Jesus? Well, you'd have a ton of different answers. He's a great teacher. He was a good leader that led his disciples. He was a holy man, a prophet. But here's the only question that really matters. The only question that you must answer yourself this morning, it's the one question that Jesus asked Peter and his disciples, who do you say that I am? It's the most important question you'll ever be asked in your life. Who do you say that Jesus is? Why don't you just pause for a second and ask your own heart that? What who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus? Was Jesus just another prophet like John the Baptist or Elijah? Was Jesus just another failed revolutionary whose mission began long ago but it kind of puttered out? Was Jesus just a good religious? teacher with some nice lessons for us that we can learn from him was he just the best example that shows us how to live the greatest example of what it means to be good who is jesus it's the most important question you'll ever answer and your eternity is on the line when you answer that question it's the one question i return to again and again and again when in evangelism I want to always keep coming back to what do you believe about Jesus? Because if you're talking to people about the gospel, the conversation can go a million different ways. If you went out in the neighborhood with us the last four weeks, you know that the conversations can go a million different ways. Because people want to talk about the truthfulness of the Bible. They want to talk about evolution. They want to talk about sexuality. They want to talk about Roe vs. Wade. But, But the ultimate question of all questions, the one that heaven and hell depends on, is what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? Because once you're settled on who Jesus is and what he's done, once you treasure Jesus for who he is and all that he's done, every single thing in life falls in the right place. Every single thing in your life falls in the right place. Mothers, this is the question you got to return to again and again and again for your children. Tell them about Jesus. Talk to them about Jesus. Let them get tired like a broken record of you talking about Jesus every morning and at lunch and at night. Before they go to bed, talk about your Savior Jesus. And now here's... The answer we find from Peter, and it's the right answer. It's the atomic bomb that falls in the Gospels when Peter confesses Jesus is the Christ of God. You have to realize that all the weight of the Old Testament is on those four words right there. Like all the promises of God that he made find their fulfillment in the Christ of God. Peter is saying, I believe that you're the son of God. I mean, that you're the son of David that would sit on the throne forever that we see in 2 Samuel 7. I believe that you're the Lord's anointed. The the promised son from Psalm 2 that we heard Pastor Kyle read at the beginning of the service. The, The son that we should kiss and adore who has all the nations unto himself. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the hope of Israel. The one that all of Israel has been longing for. And whether you realize it or not, it's the one that you've been longing for and running after and pursuing after. Notice that Jesus doesn't correct the confession of Peter. He doesn't say, wow, now you're way off. Wrong. That—that's You're totally off. No, Jesus confirms that He is the Christ, the coming King. And then He says, but don't tell anybody about this yet, because it wasn't, it wasn't His time to go to the cross. So listen, if, you, if you're here this morning and you see Jesus is just a really good man, you're missing the real Jesus. If you see Jesus as a really good leader, someone who can be a life coach and give you some good tips, then you're missing the real Jesus. If you see Jesus as a good teacher who gives you all the nice lessons about how to love others, how to be a good person, you're missing Jesus. The only way you know you're really seeing Jesus is if he's the king of kings who's worthy of all your worship and who gets all your worship. But notice in verse 22 that Jesus doesn't just confirm the confession of Peter. No, he clarifies it, doesn't he? See, most Jews would have been excited about the Christ. Most Jews would have been expecting the coming Messiah to come and to reign one day, but not like Jesus has come. They would have been expecting a king to come and and reign They would have been hoping for a king that would come and sit on a throne in the middle of Jerusalem. They would have been actively praying. Actively praying, come Messiah, come come and overthrow and deliver us from our enemies, from the Romans. But Jesus clarifies, he focuses on who the Christ really is in verse 22. It says this, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. This was the surprise. The surprise wasn't that the the Christ was going to come. The the, the surprise was that the Christ was going to be crucified. That the Messiah would be murdered. That's the surprise. Surprise. See, they wanted a king. They prayed for a king. They were longing for a king that would reign over them. A, a king with a crown, but not a king on a cross. That's why Jesus, That's why Peter in the, other, uh, in the other Gospels pulls Jesus aside, if you remember, and says, heaven forbid that you go to a cross, Jesus. And, and Jesus, what's he have to say? Get behind me, Satan. He, he rebukes him because he didn't come for the throne he came to die on a cross brothers and sisters listen we're not simply lost and need a good leader we're not simply bad and need a good example we're great sinners who need a great savior every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god we didn't need a king to come and to reign on the throne. We need a king to come and go to a cross. Because a king with a crown leaves every single one of us still in our sins. But a king on a cross delivers us. Sets us free from our sins if we repent of them and trust Jesus our Savior. That's why Jesus says that he must suffer. He must suffer be rejected. He must be killed. He must be raised or every single one of us is still dead here today. We're still dead in our trespasses and sins. So let me ask, are you trusting in the crucified King? The only one who lived for you and who died for you and who rose again and who had to do it so you could be Saved from your sins. Are you trusting in the crucified king? But second of all, we see this. The second question, are you living the crucified life? Are you living the crucified life? Jesus, our crucified king, calls us not just to simply benefit from the cross, but to also carry one. We see that in our passage. Look at verse 23. Right after he talks about the necessity of himself dying on a cross, he looks at his disciples and he calls them, he calls every single one of us to live a crucified life. Look at verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone wants to be my disciples, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. See, many of us would want a coming king with a crown, one who will give us power. Many of us would also sign up for a crucified king on a cross who will give us forgiveness. What we don't want is a crucified king that calls us to a crucified life. Who demands something from me. That wants to disrupt my selfish desires. That wants to confront my comforts. That wants to separate me from my sins to himself. This is a Christianity that says something about sleeping with your girlfriend. A Christianity that confronts you about loving money. A Christianity that that confronts the bitterness and the the worldliness, the unforgiveness, the lack of love in your heart. It's a Christianity that doesn't give you a pass to pursue the American dream over the mission of God. It's a Christianity that doesn't allow you to be the center of your self-centered life. Because Christ lived that he might be the center. And he died that he might be the center of your life. J.C. Ryle says it like this. A religion that costs nothing is worth nothing. A cheap Christianity without a cross will prove in the end a useless Christianity without a crown. Listen, if if there's no self-denial in your Christian life, there is self-deception in your Christian life. I'll say that again. If there is no self-denial in your Christian life, there is self-deception in your Christian life. You you have believed a Christianity where forgiveness is free and grace is cheap, but, but Jesus wouldn't call me to anything. Jesus wouldn't demand anything of me you believe believed a Christianity that forgives you of your sins, but you don't have to leave your sins. Brothers and sisters, this isn't Christianity. This, this is a Bible Belt folk religion, but it's not the way of Jesus. It's not what Jesus has called us to. Listen, this is very clear from this passage. The way of Jesus is the way of Jesus. It's pretty simple, but it's clear from this passage. The way of Jesus is the way of Jesus. It's a cross-shaped way of living that reflects our Savior. A crucified life of denying yourself and your desires and your love for this world and the sins you won't let go of, denying yourself and taking up your cross every single day to follow Jesus. Listen, if there is no new relationship with sin and with yourself, there's no new relationship with Jesus. Listen, if there's no self-denial in your Christian life, there is self-deception in your Christian life. Also, if there's no self-denial in your Christian life, there's self-destruction in your Christian life. This is what Jesus gets at in the next two verses. Look at verses forty—I mean, 24 and 25. He says this, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit if he gains the whole world? The whole world and loses or forfeits himself. Jesus is cutting through the noise of the the advertisements in our day, everything that we're scrolling through on our phones. And he's saying to us, he's warning us that if you try to save your life, if you keep living for yourself, if you think you can gain this world, you're going to in the end lose everything. But losing your life, dying to yourself, repenting and running from the worthlessness of this world for the sake of Christ, and you will gain everything. You'll gain everything. You'll save your life. This is the upside-downness of the kingdom of God. This is the upside-downness of the way of Jesus. It might look odd to everybody in your neighborhood and everybody at your family reunion and everybody in your workplace, But it looks like life to Jesus. It's life giving. The world is offering you life. If if you just chase after this sin, they're trying to sell you satisfaction, but they lie to you. And it brings death. But Jesus offers death, invites you to carry a cross. And by carrying a cross, you will find life. This has been stuck in my heart all week long. Because I had to ask myself, as I was reading this passage, how do I deny myself daily as a disciple? What's it look like in my home to deny myself daily? Daily. What's it look like by the way I spend my time that I deny myself daily? In my marriage, in my parenting. What's it look like to deny yourself daily? Because you're a follower of Jesus. Because many of us would call ourselves followers of Jesus. The question is, are we deniers of self? Are we deniers of self? Because many of us probably live our lives where we are followers of Jesus, but somehow we still keep getting our own way all the time. It's amazing how much the individualism of America, more than the selflessness of Jesus, has crept into the church today. And I say all this today to preach to my own heart to preach to my own heart how much of our lives are marked by self-protection and self-pursuits and self-seeking, self-centeredness, rather than the self-denial, the self emptying of Jesus who would keep going down and make himself nothing and die on a cross in our place. I remember hearing a pastor, Alister Begg, years ago who was in the ministry, been preaching at a church for 40 years. And this lady was interviewing her, and she said, What's been the hardest thing about being a pastor for 40 years? What's the hardest thing going on in your church? And, and you would think in that moment that he was going to say, Man, the, my, some guys on my staff, they give me a hard time. There's difficulties all, all the time with the budgets, and it's hard to get people to come. And, all, you know. and without skipping a beat, he said, The hardest thing is me. In 40 years of ministry, the hardest thing is me. And my guess today is that the hardest thing in your Christian life is you. The greatest obstacle for you looking more and more like Jesus is you loving more and more of yourself. But what if this morning we, as the people of God, as Christ Fellowship, what if we heard Jesus giving us a gracious invitation, inviting us to real life, to real joy. What if we heard Jesus say these words with great joy on his face when he says, I want to invite you, I want to extend an invitation to you that you get to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. You get to deny yourself and to take up your cross daily and follow me. Will it be easy? No. Will will it be comfortable? No. Will it always be fun? No. But will it always be good? Yes. Will it always be worth it? Yes. Will it always lead to life? Yes. Will there always be joy in Jesus? Yes. Again, J.C. Ryle says it this way. A single day in hell will be worse than a whole life spent carrying a cross. A single day in hell will be worse than a whole life spent carrying a cross. So are you not only trusting in the crucified king, are you living the crucified life? And finally, are you beholding the king of glory? Are you beholding the king of glory? Jesus makes it clear to his disciples that he must die on a cross. And he makes it clear to them that they must carry a cross. But rather than leaving them in their fear or their anxiety or their worry about what's going to happen in Jerusalem or what's going to happen in their own life, Jesus graciously takes them up the mountain where he pulls back the curtain to show them his glory. For their hearts. He takes them for their hearts, for their encouragement. As they follow Christ. And what they find when they get behind the curtain, when they go up in the mountain, what they find when they pull back the curtain is not underwhelming like the Wizard of Oz. What they find is breathtaking when they see the glory of Jesus. See, Jesus just said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you when I come in glory. Listen, this, this has nothing to do with being brave enough to walk an aisle during an invitation at a revival. I know we hear that. If, you don't, if you're ashamed of me, if you won't walk the aisle, you're not know a follower of Jesus. It has nothing to do with that at all. It's, it's less about saying Jesus is Lord with a microphone in your face and more about saying Jesus is Lord when a gun is to your head. When a sword is to your throat, are, are you willing to deny yourself to take up your cross? Are, are you going to be unashamed to give all your allegiance to Jesus? And in the very next verse, Jesus says this, Some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God. In every single place in the Gospels, That this is found where he says some of you aren't going to die until you see the kingdom of God. It's not by accident that the very next story is the transfiguration. It's not by accident that in every case, every instance, the very next verse is Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up to the mountain to see the glory of Jesus. It says on this mountain that the disciples are praying with Jesus or like the disciples do, they're sleeping while Jesus is praying. And on this mountain, instead of Moses praying, show me your glory, we find Jesus praying, show them my glory. Show them my glory. And when they wake up, they find Jesus. They are meeting with Moses and with Elijah on the mountain. And And they see Jesus. They behold Jesus. His face is altered. His clothing is dazzling white. They're they're seeing the glory of Jesus. and, And it says that they listen in on what they're talking about. They're having a conference. It says about his departure. But if you look at your footnotes, it might say this. His departure could also be translated his exodus. Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem and deliver those who are enslaved, not to Pharaoh in Egypt. He's about to deliver those who are enslaved to their sin by dying on a cross and rising again. And so Peter starts losing his mind. He has, he has no clue what to do. The passage says he doesn't know what to say. He didn't have a clue what to say. And he starts saying, let's just build some tents. Let's, let's build you a place where y'all can live and He wants to build three tents, three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And it's like he's saying this. Don't miss it. It's like he's saying, these are three great men. These are three great prophets, some of the greatest prophets, all worthy of honor. And while he's saying this, a cloud overwhelms the mountain. Anytime we see the cloud in the Old Testament, it's the very presence of God. And this voice comes from the cloud. And listen, it doesn't say, Peter, you're right, this is my dream team. This is my dream team, Moses, Elijah, Jesus. Yes, build them tents. No, the Father from heaven declares, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen carefully. Him. And here's what I want us to, to hear today, brothers and sisters. The Father is proclaiming to His disciples that the Father is telling our hearts here this morning, there is no one like Jesus. There is no one like Jesus, not Moses, not Elijah, not David, not John the Baptist. Jesus is my one and only son. Jesus is the chosen one. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one that must suffer and must be rejected and must die and must rise again. He alone is worthy. And because of his incomparable glory, you must listen to him. The father says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. There should be no rivals in your heart. There should be no equals in your life. That Jesus, he alone is worthy of your attention. He's the the only one worthy of your affection. He's the only one worthy of all your allegiance. The king who would live for you and die for you and rise again. See, once the blinders are removed, And 2 Corinthians says we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our hearts can't help but say worthy. One day there will be no more debates about who Jesus is. There will be no more questions left to answer about who is Jesus. Who do people say that Jesus is? No, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is worthy. All of heaven will sing this song while we behold His glory forever and ever and ever. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now none of us have ever maybe had the curtain pulled back like this. None of us were with them on the mountain. But let me say this as we close. It doesn't matter if you don't see that Jesus is worthy today. Jesus is still worthy. doesn't matter if you, you don't think He's glorious and worthy of your heart, your life. Jesus is full of incomparable Glory. Doesn't matter if you don't see him as the most beautiful and priceless treasure that he is. He is the most priceless treasure in the world. Your unbelief cannot diminish the glory of Jesus at all. But you could miss out on the glory of Jesus. You could miss out on the, the worth, the beauty, and the captivating savior that is jesus christ so brothers and sisters this morning i don't want to wait to say worthy i don't want to wait to sing worthy i don't want my life to be putting off that he's worthy of me denying myself and taking up my cross and following him Because just like we sang earlier, love so amazing, as we look at the cross, love so amazing, so divine, demands my all. My life demands everything from me. So this morning, I'll ask you again as we close, are you trusting in the crucified King? Are you living the crucified life? Are you this morning beholding the incomparable glory of Jesus? Or will you leave here this morning wondering wondering where you can find some cheese fries? Let's pray. Father, I, I pray. Lord, words can't make the beauty of Christ revealed to us, Lord Words, Lord, can't display the glory of Jesus apart from your Holy Spirit working in power. And so, Lord, I pray this morning in my heart that you would show me the glory of Jesus. That that you would captivate me by the truth, Lord, that, that Christ, the Christ of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ would come and he would live a life. For me that I could never live. And, and Lord, he would be rejected. That he would suffer. That he would be killed on a criminal's cross. Not because he deserved it, but because I deserved it. He would rise again three days later, Lord, so that I might know what it means to be delivered from my sins. Not just delivered from my sins, but to delivered into a life of denying myself and taking up my cross and following Jesus, so Lord, would you show us the glory of Jesus? Show us the worth of Jesus. Lord, captivate our hearts today by Jesus so that we might run from sin with joy and run and follow Jesus with joy. Lord, I pray that for every single person here today. Lord, whether they've been A believer for 40 years, for 50 years, for 60 years. or Lord, whether they've never heard about the life, death, resurrection and glory of Jesus till this morning. Lord, would you captivate us with your Son. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.